0: Millennials are achieving freedom with a new definition of success. Our careers, relationships, education, and even our politics look nothing like our parents.
1: We are repapering the roadmap towards our personal goals and embracing what moves us along the way.
0: We are adopting what works and throwing out the rest.
1: We are tired, but not worn in our quest to get there.
0: I'm Heather Bonaparte.
1: I'm Douglas Bonaparte. And welcome to We Should Be Sleeping.
0: Each week, Douglas and I explore the news and topics that keep us awake.
1: We'll also invite guests to share the way they've done it differently to achieve a new brand of success that's authentic, unconventional, and definitive of our generation.
0: Not ready for bed? Tune in, because neither are we. Learn more and subscribe today at WeShouldBeSleeping.com.
1: Welcome back to We Should Be Sleeping. My name is Douglas Bonaparte. I am joined here by my wife, Heather Bonaparte, for episode G. What's going on, Heather? hey Yo. Yo.
0: We are great because we usually record here on a weeknight right. whenever we have time amongst work, work and other obligations. But this week is a special week. This is Saturday night. We are here enjoying a nice cocktail in our basement recording studio. How are you doing, Doug?
1: I'm doing great working through this Jefferson's Ocean small batch blended whiskey. I'm promoing it.
0: Yeah, let's tell our listeners a little bit about tonight's beverage of choice.
1: Right. So I guess what makes this one special is they stick this bourbon in barrels in cargo ships and send it around the world, picking up different salts and salty airs and whatever from different ports of call everywhere That's the shtick.
0: It tastes like barnacles.
1: No, it actually tastes really good.
0: It really does. But you know what? Find yourself a liquor that has a story because we sound pretty cool telling the story. I'm not going to lie.
1: I'm a connoisseur. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but we just thought we'd share that we're drinking bourbon that's sailed across the ocean. So take that for what you will. Worldwide (laughs) bourbon.
1: Okay. What are we starting with?
0: Let's start with something that Douglas and I have debated on and off over the last couple years. Can you be friends with your doctor? Can, Can you? you? Jinx. <laughs> so here's the deal. We moved to Westfield a couple of years ago.
1: More than a couple. It's almost like four years now. Yeah,
0: I guess so. It's a suburb of New York City. We, not long after had to find new pediatrician for our daughter and children.
1: No, all new doctors, right? Yeah, right. We had to find
0: all new doctors. But
1: we usually think about the kids first.
0: Right. We think about the kids first. So anyway, we really, really like our daughter's pediatrician. He's this guy. He's like our age. He's from the Bay Area.
1: Moved back to Jersey.
0: Yeah. He's just a cool dude, right?
1: Has a daughter of his own. He
0: has a daughter of his own around the same age as our girls. And- in a time and place where we're always looking to meet new friends, because we too have only been living here for a couple of years, I mean, like anybody you meet is an opportunity for a new friend. That's just kind of the way it is. So
1: that's the extrovert way.
0: Well, I think that that's just the way of like having small children and moving outside the city, and you know, it's kind of like the dad nod to the next level. Like you're always trying to take it to the next level with right, everybody. So,
1: so we're down for friends. Okay.
0: Okay. So what's wrong with this? Can you? How can you become friends with a doctor? Can you become friends with your doctor? Is it appropriate? Why or why not? We've debated this, you know, back and forth. Like, can we become friends with him? How can we become friends with him? What would it take to become friends with him?
1: Right. And I think the thing that is making it difficult is something called, or what I'd like to call, informational leverage. Explain. Well, there's this inherent murkiness that exists when a provider of services, in this case, your child pediatrician.
0: Especially advice. Right. Professional services. Exactly. And, And
1: look, I'm in the business of this, so I really resonate here. But our pediatrician has an immense amount of knowledge specifically about our children and their health and their medical records, which is kind of a reflection on us, right? If our kids are healthy, well... We're doing something
0: right. I guess he could pass judgment on us based upon the health of our children, I guess. Well, yeah. Is that your point? Well, yeah.
1: Think about it. You're out having a drink or having dinner and you're thinking in the back of your mind, like, you know, he knows everything about my child. What does he think of me? I actually
0: think that the reason he wouldn't want to chill with us is because he wouldn't want us to take advantage of the friendship and be calling him all hours of the night, like sending photos of like a rash on my daughter's neck. Yeah, but that's not us. Well, it's not us, but I think that that would be a concern of a medical provider, let's say, in wanting to become friends with their patients. Are we going to break down the formal communication between patient and doctor? I would think that that might also be a concern.
1: Well, you actually had me Google to see if it <laughs> if it's allowed.
0: Well, I thought maybe there was some sort of oath, you no, know?
1: <laughs> like, no, can,
0: are they not even allowed? No. What's the deal? Yeah, yeah when Can they go, you be friends with the doctor when they go to doctor? med school?
1: They tell them strictly, like you cannot become friends with your. No, that's not a thing. They tell
0: you in medical school,
1: <laughs> you cannot <laughs> keep it
0: strictly business. A little bit of chatter, move on.
1: <laughs> Never become friends with your patient. All right, so that's not a thing. But look, I deal with people's personal finances. I look inside their personal business. and You look
0: inside the gown, if you will.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) So I, great. So I can relate in a way where, look, I have plenty of clients that are friends and I get that many of our friends would never want to be a client. They would never want me having this kind of informational leverage over them. But quite frankly, I think it's just a personal decision, right? We have lots of friends that work with me they have no problem with it. I'm able to keep it straight in social settings and what have you. But
0: so here's the question. I know you have friends that are clients. Are you comfortable becoming new friends with a new client? I know you have friends that have come to you to become a client because they are a friend. Are you comfortable making friends with a current person who you are in a business relationship with, like a fresh relationship?
1: Look, I'm okay with all of it. Either order, but to your point, I think it's probably harder to become friends with a client than a friend to become a client, if that makes any sense.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: So, again, personal decision. I personally don't think it's an issue. Maybe our doctors, respectively. I think you, you know, we're becoming friendly. With I'm trying to doctors. become friends
0: with my lady doctor, okay? Uh-oh. One of my lady doctors, and because... <laughs> It's a whole practice of them. And when I was pregnant with Ruby, one of them happens to be right around the same age as Doug and I. And she had her first child within weeks of when Ruby was born. And it's just every time I see her and I just saw her recently, we always kind of, I mean, it's more than small talk. We could talk for 25 minutes. I really, yeah, it's more than that. I really enjoy her and she lives, you know, in the area. same thing. I'm trying to take it to the next level. So here's the question like, this is so awkward. How do you take it to the next level? I don't want to put them on the spot as I'm sitting there on the okay. table. What do you do? Do you DM them through the portal?
1: Yeah, through the online portal.
0: <laughs> do you flag it as a medical question that they open it and they're like, hey, doctor.
1: Want to get coffee? <laughs> this isn't
0: a medical question. I was just thinking. You down to chill? You guys free on Saturday night? Right. Like, what exactly? What is the protocol? Like now that- We've decided, okay, Doug and I have decided we're about to try and take it to the next level with some doctors. What are we supposed to do?
1: I don't know. Just be yourself and see if you can, you know, go grab a drink. How? Next time you see him, just say it. Just say, hey.
0: So should we take Hazel in for a rash that we weren't going to take her in for just to try and make a date with the doctor?
1: No, that's ridiculous. All right, fine. Okay, moving on.
0: So what's the point? The point is that we can do this because I'm trying to make some plans here.
1: All right. I've already moved on.
0: (laughs) Okay, fine. We're hanging out with our doctors. Do what you got to do. We'll keep you posted. We'll let you know how that works out for us. Cool. (laughs) Moving on as Doug would like to do. So do you remember on the local news, I don't know if they've ever had this near you, but when I was growing up on the local news segments, they'd always say something like, it's 8 p.m. Do you know where your children are?
1: I think everyone had that experience growing up. I I guess all local news did that.
0: Yeah. So I think we need to ask that about boomers. What? Yeah. I think we need to ask that about our parents, especially right now during this time of COVID. Okay. Because I don't think any of us know exactly what they're doing, where they are, or what's really going on with them.
1: I kind of agree that we're in this spot where we're parents now and you're kind of flipping this on its head, right? You know where your children are as a throwback to like, oh my God, like we're old enough to have children of our own. But you're thinking about where your parents are because I think based on our experience and what we've seen, not just our own lives, but kind of around is that we're not quite sure what they're up to.
0: Oh, we have no idea what they're up to. So I, I think that what's really interesting is during this time as the coronavirus has kind of spread around the country, It's interesting that one of the more at-risk demographics are the ones taking more risk or taking, I'm not going to say more risk because there really is no data to back that up, right? I'm not going to say that boomers are the ones out more. There's really no way to know. But what I'll tell you is that they certainly are out. It's not like they're staying home more than the rest of us from what I've seen In my local communities, and this isn't just about, like, a one-off story about, like, a Karen being bold and, like, (laughs) yelling at Home Depot that, like, you know, or yelling that she's ready for her haircut and the first one in line, like a little, like, news clip on the local news. I've just noticed, at least in terms of the boomers in my life and my friends and their parents... Their parents are the first ones to kind of say, oh, it's, it was fine. I was happy to get takeout a couple nights last week or when the rest of us were like scrubbing down our groceries from our farm box.
1: Yeah, they were just picking up parm.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were like, yeah, they, it right out they of the were the container. just, right. They were like savage. They were like eating right out of that pizza box. They didn't even care. When when we were all still like wiping things down, they're the first people to go on socially distant walks. They were the first to sit in their backyard and have social gatherings.
1: Oh, Target's open. Let's go there.
0: Right. And a friend and acquaintance of ours happens to work for a major grocery store chain. And she had relayed to me that one of their biggest issues at the beginning of all this wasn't like keeping food in supply. It was like convincing the boomers that their grocery store wasn't a substitute for like power walking around the mall. They wanted something to do, so they were like chilling at the grocery store. I mean, that to me is insane, right. but that is well, what's going on here. So why are we in this situation where like I feel like I'm inherently just objectively speaking less at risk than folks our parents age, but like why are they... More cavalier about all this. Yeah, it's just
1: where they are in life right now. It's ultimately about who they're responsible for at this stage of the game. And because there's less of that responsibility like we have with little children and they once had, that it just lends itself to, you know, the little fibs and white lies about where they've been and what they've been up to or who they've been with. It's a mismatch.
0: I can tell you without question that there's definitely been some lie isn't the right word. Just like intentional omissions yeah. in the information that we're getting from our parents about what they're up to. I can tell you that.
1: Well, it's frustrating because it reveals that they know how they know it's not right. Well, no, they know, yeah, they know it's not right, but they know how sensitive you are to it. And the path of least resistance is to perhaps give that little fib that, no, I, I didn't go see that person or do that thing, which would clearly get you triggered because, you know, you're trying to like get them over to help or, you know, just hang out with the kids and have some fun or something like that. Or how like about that. just
0: even be safe at the beginning of this when we all really knew even less than, I mean, we, don't, we still don't know that much, but even at the beginning, we're like, this was like, we really knew nothing about what the risk of spread was, indoors, outdoors. And they're just like...
1: Well, listen, we're generalizing here. And look, painting with a broad brush can get you in trouble here. But if I took it further, I think it's really just because they're set in their ways. And, and no better example of that than online shopping versus in-person shopping. They want to go touch and feel and rub their hands across, you know, the entire rack of clothes to find that right shirt. You do that sometimes. But the point is, they're less likely to go buy four or five things online. They want to see, touch, feel the experience of that shopping. And we've just are like, no time for that. I'm, I'm happy, able to, you know, buy something online. I think that's a good example of just kind of being set in your ways. And you can scale that up to any number of things.
0: Those Instacart slots were just as available for them as they were for us. But, you know. No, I, they literally, I,
1: hold on. They literally gave them, forget Instacart and getting a time slot. They gave them a physical time slot to go early ahead of anyone else like early in the morning so like if you were you know a senior citizen and you wanted to go get your groceries you had a specific time available to you i think that only caters to this notion that they are set in their ways this is the way they do things and it sets up this whole Paradigm that we're talking about here.
0: So, like, what do we do as children of the boomers who we really can't control? I'm not talking about the fact that we're parents and we want them around our kids. That's really not what I'm limiting this conversation to. This is about children, millennials, our age, trying to have an impact on what their parents are doing during the time of pandemic, whether their parents live across the country or not. And they're saying, like, beyond boomers, look, my grandmother lives in Florida. And I promise you she's been out to dinner like every night this Every week.
1: night. She went to the salon today.
0: Yeah, she definitely went to the hair salon today.
1: It's not even registering.
0: You think that's a whole separate thing, that at that generation it's not even registering. But
1: How are you going to tell mom that she can't go to her Marjan games? She's like 86.
0: But so do you think that a little bit of that cavalier, like I've lived a good life and this isn't going to take me down and I don't really care type of mentality is like, a little bit of what creeps in with the boomers that are just kind of going about their business and like happily willing to, to run around the stores and like have their face mask hanging around down their chin and like not really care? I mean, is it a little bit of that, that they're just like, you know what, it is what it is. Like, I mean, because I don't think about COVID that way. I mean, I I don't get that.
1: Okay. I think it's multifaceted. I think you're right. It is a part of that. I think it's a lot of the things that we said here being stuck in your ways. I think we're bombarded and have access and plug ourselves into information at a much higher degree.
0: So you think millennials just generally read more and are maybe more.
1: No, I would not say that we read more. It's that we constantly bombard ourselves with maybe a more diverse array of information. Nevertheless, I think it's a multifaceted, multifactor reason why we feel the way that we do and why they act the way that they do. But it's an interesting thought nonetheless. And we'll see how this continues to unfold as we reopen the country. And we'll keep our eyes on the behaviors and attitudes of kind of generations in the context of COVID.
0: So we can't ground our parents. Is no. What you're saying.
1: To the extent you can tell them not to come visit the grandkids and, and like hold that out. Yeah. But that probably will just deteriorate relationships.
0: Fair enough. And you know what? So I think that's a good segue into something that's really been taking up a lot of our time over the last week or so. Camps and daycares are going to be reopening in our area over the course of the next month. Do you want to give a little cheer? Yay! I
1: mean, yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, y- yay.
0: You know, but I think that for anyone who is rejoicing, there's the same exhausting level of thinking and analysis. And really, for me, honestly, it's like this feel of dread. It's the same feeling that I had when things started to lock down one by one in this like gray area, is the same way that I feel as things are opening up one by one. Even for people who are desperate for daycare, you know what? Inherently, the idea of having an extra set of hands, no matter what, is good. But generally speaking, I still don't know why, as these things are opening back up, I just don't feel good.
1: You're not jumping out of your seat. I don't think a lot of our thorns are like absolutely thrilled.
0: No. And I think the problem is that the same emotional reactions, and we've spoken about this once before, this idea that like things and the decisions we made at the beginning of this were all based on hunches, right? Like a gut reaction, incomplete incomplete information. information. I get that the numbers have gone down, but we still seem to not know much about a lot. And so- to start opening things back up, I think we're still kind of having a bit of this unease, or at least those of us who are very involved in reading and listening and trying to consume information to make decisions are still having a hard time.
1: Well, that's it right there. And, you know, after now more than 16 weeks, the thing that I keep noticing is that communication between whether it's organizations and members, leaders, and their constituents, and even spouses has really been less than ideal. And it certainly hasn't been complete because of that information flow. And it's supposed to come from the top down. And I guess I'm saying when you're not given enough information and you're left with gaping holes, you're the ones left to try and understand how to make any number of big decisions.
0: So, for example, I follow our governor, Governor Murphy, on all of my social media platforms. Right. And I see data. And the data looks promising all the time. And, you know, he communicates great. But seeing how that translates to whatever protocols are put in place is like what I'm missing.
1: Agree. Like you're seeing things that don't really make sense. So even though there's maybe good data coming your way, you know, you can go to Target, right? We could
0: go to Target the whole time.
1: But you can't get a haircut, at least in our state, right? Right.
0: It just doesn't make sense. And so that process of receiving you know broad data on our state even as a whole but not really understanding how or why it's being implemented locally is leading people to make inconsistent decisions across their lives. And it's creating this tentative feeling of, you know, like, what if? Am I doing the right thing? Is there a way for me to even know if I'm doing the right thing? Let me give an example. Please. Of something. <laughs> Please. Let me give an example of something that happened a couple weeks ago.
1: I know where you're going with this.
0: We had one of our older daughter's very close friends had a drive-by birthday party in a cul-de-sac.
1: For the record, I'm not upset that they're doing this but I just hate these things in general. I hate that we have to do these things instead of like, having a real birthday
0: party. I know, it sucks, but we try and make the best out of it. For this
1: age, for this age. I see it for the like 12 and 13-year-olds and it looks bomb, but not for the four-year-olds. They're confused.
0: But we try because we want to have a moment to celebrate for the kids and I I completely...
1: It's just not fun for them. Like, parties are supposed to be fun. I
0: know, but everybody's doing it, you know, so it is what it is. And I would never, I would never ever miss this person's drive-through birthday party. Me too. Regardless of of how I feel about drive-by birthday parties. Anyway. And so we get there and it was a nice day. It was warm out and everybody was out of the car. Everybody. I mean, there were probably 25 people out of the car, 30 people out of the car in a cul-de-sac.
1: Yeah, at most.
0: With no masks. Nobody had a mask. Nobody was distancing. It wasn't even like an attempt to stay near your car. El- just elbow like- bumps were had. The dads were dadding out. I mean, it was like a typical barbecue in one of our backyards, like as if it was last weekend. And these are some of our best friends. So it's not like it felt weird. It was almost like you wanted it to feel good so badly. Like, really, this was the first time I'd seen in person this many of my close friends at once in a really long time. No one knew what to do. Exactly. And nobody knew what to do. No one knew how to
1: act. And... This got us really having an interesting conversation afterwards because it clearly bothered you.
0: I mean, yeah, I guess it did bother me because we never even had a conversation before we went as to what we would do if that happened. And it's not like I was against getting out of the car because I'd been to a couple where we'd gotten out of the car, but I'd not been in a situation where the kids were literally playing together and the parents were gathered like we were literally barbecuing in somebody's backyard it caught me off guard so much but I at the same time like wasn't upset in the moment because I was so happy to see my friends that I wasn't planning on getting out of the car and the second we pulled up I turned to Doug and I said it's okay you can take her out of the car and that was so out of character from how I had been acting for the last eight weeks yeah I'll
1: give you credit I thought the exact opposite was going to happen and instead you know it was this much more laxed approach.
0: Honestly, I was so overcome with emotion from seeing so many of my friends in one place that I didn't know how to react any differently or to react for my child any differently than to say, you guys can get out of the car. I didn't know what else to say. No, no, no,
1: you're right on track here. And for me, in the context of this conversation, you and I got into it and kind of came to this conclusion that the bottom line here is how extraordinarily difficult it is to communicate these things, primarily because people don't have enough information to communicate their opinion or their attitude towards this. And it reminded me a little bit about, in the context of spouses communicating about it, about how you know married couples can fight about money when neither of them are on the same page with their financial goals or resources. And the communication just simply becomes an emotional bloodbath and no real progress is made.
0: I think that's a good comparison because this could easily become just as sensitive and, you know, uncharted territories as a couple sitting down to really talk through their finances and their goals, which, you know, these are both two very fluid things.
1: Right. And the reason I bring up First, communicating between spouses. In the case of the party, like there was no communication between us and our friends. Not only between us, spouses, but then the next step would have been between us and our friends to say, hey, let's get on the same page about what we can expect here in this gathering so that no one felt like there was any kind of judgment being passed between other people. Yeah. I think people immediately start to question, well what do they think of me or did I do something wrong or am I doing something right? It just Well, that's
0: why people like we know people are getting together yeah. and they're hiding it, of course, like they're not posting a million photos of each other on social media. Like we know people are getting together. We're getting together with our best friends we have been right. for the last couple weeks.
1: But it sets up these inconsistencies here. So look, you're just getting information based on what you see or what you've heard, but in reality You have this thing where maybe your friend is okay going to the market, but not okay sending their child to camp. And you might be the opposite of that. And these are subjective things, right?
0: Right. But these are situations that are rife for passing judgment. I think that's the point, is that like I've already had these conversations with people. It's very easy to say, like, oh, they're willing to get together with that family, but they're too afraid to go to Trader Joe's. Right, I mean, like that's it's, what I'm talking like, about. Like, it becomes toxic, like trying to examine other folks' behavior to help you try and figure out what's right for you. And all of this exists because of two things: because one, we're not receiving really any clear guidance from above, and two, because you don't have a personal risk policy in place for your own family. And so that—that's really the thesis of this whole thing. And I'm realizing, and after the incident at the birthday party a couple weeks ago. We had tried loosely to put it in place, but I think we were all too emotional and running on fumes at the beginning of this to really sit down and discuss it. and now we could, that families need, and couples need a personal risk policy, yeah, it, like literally. That, I mean that's what we're done. Procedure.
1: It. Yeah. If you're going to have any shot at being able to consistently communicate with where you stand with the people in your life,
0: people you live with and people that you don't. Friends, family.
1: Yeah, you need something to operate off of. Otherwise, you're going to constantly be delivering knee-jerk reactions.
0: That are going to disappoint you and they're going to disappoint other people. That's the thing. I guess that's what's worse. It's not just that you're going to be taking an inconsistent approach with people that you spend time with and that's going to cause some judgment and some hurt feelings on their end, but also like disappointment in yourself. I mean, that's kind of my big thing was like I felt disappointed in myself for having not thought through some things before we do or don't do them. And that's very unlike us in normal life.
1: Yeah, and to be clear, we're actually talking about putting pen to paper and writing out like the things you are willing to do and not to do, not just for the sake of your own relationship, but to be able to communicate this with the people in your life. You mentioned it earlier how important it is that This is fluid because information is just going to continue to become available. And that means your policy can change, right? It will change according to that information. Yeah, I mean,
0: this is like a living, breathing situation. I feel like every week or every two weeks, we're getting new information. And I don't just mean information about the virus as a whole. I mean, hyper local to you. Yeah. like
1: What's going on in your town?
0: Like, I will tell you, our town hasn't had a new case of COVID in weeks. I mean, I don't think weeks, but like a couple days, right? It's been like a solid couple days to a week. And that's a really big change for our New Jersey area. So to me, I haven't stepped foot in a grocery store since the beginning of March, but- Since that I, last wild but I shopping. Was, yeah. But I was at a doctor's appointment earlier this week and on the way home, there was no line at Trader Joe's and I hadn't been to Trader Joe's in weeks. And- I just thought, you know what? I was aware of the local information. I was aware of the data. And I just like veered in. And yeah, it was like a knee-jerk reaction. And I did it. And Doug was shocked. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to
1: Trader Joe's. I'm glad you did it. But I was shocked for you that you did it. I didn't know where that was in your personal risk policy at the time. But
0: I did it. And that's why we needed to have that conversation. But I that's did how we it based. Got to this conversation. Yes, it is. But I did it, and my friends were shocked too. They're like, "I thought you were taking this very seriously." And also, I'm like,
1: how we got to this conversation, right?
0: And I am taking it very seriously. But if you've been paying attention, the numbers have gotten much better near us. It's the
1: least riskiest time for you to ever do that,
0: right? And so, even if we see another spike as things start to open up, maybe I won't feel comfortable going there in two weeks. But I. I did today. You know, I did the other day. It's so fluid.
1: Yeah. Things we would have not considered doing a month ago, we are doing today, like sending our daughter to her grandmother's house. She just came back the other day. She got to spend some time one-on-one with grandma. We felt comfortable doing that. It could mean spending time with one family in their backyard and, and gearing up for some modified version of camp, which we are.
0: Right. I mean, we made a very big decision this week that we decided after reviewing a full handbook of information, we're going to send our older child to day camp. There are certainly risks that are associated with that. We are more than aware of what they are. And we reviewed the protocol that's put in place in line with what our personal risk policy is today. Like people who don't understand that Heather from March 10th would not have sent her daughter to camp on March 30th
1: you were pretty much but quarantining that w- in place.
0: But that was a different time than right. where we are right now. I am perfectly willing and open, as should everybody be, to accept the data and make your decisions based on current information that's in front of you. Right now, I feel like it's okay. And frankly, like as part of that risk policy, you do have to build in some level of joy and happiness. And for us, this was about in deciding that probably our biggest decision so far in this entire time, will be to send Hazel to camp, that the joy that she will get from interacting with friends outweighs the risk that exists in the situation for us right now. Right now. Her mental health, our mental
1: health, along with the guidelines and protocols that we were given, were enough to make this rather large decision. And it's based on this idea of a personal risk policy so wrapping it up on that note is unsolicited advice for any listener that if you want to effectively communicate between each other between pretty much anyone and set reasonable expectations it might be very beneficial to write this stuff down take in new information and adapt accordingly so you every live, couple of weeks right yeah so you can just live a better life and maybe get some sleep. I would hope so. All right. Well, that's it. Thanks for tuning in again on this episode of We Should Be Sleeping. We'll catch you next time.
0: Try and get some rest, okay? Thank you for staying up with us and checking out We Should Be Sleeping.
1: Connect with us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more at weshouldbesleeping.com.
0: We'll see you next time on We Should Be Sleeping.